0: This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycensy.org.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 7. It's found on page 230 in the Bibles in your rows and is also printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along as I read. 1 Samuel chapter 7. And the men of kiriath Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at kiriath Jerem, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well, good morning. Oh, there we go. We didn't do a sound check this morning. So, uh, Good morning, my name is Michael Prevatera. I'm one of the pastors here and serve as a campus minister at Xavier University. Uh, Some of you may never have met me, because I've been on sabbatical the past three months. Um, So if you're new over the summer and I haven't met you, please introduce yourself to me. I'd love to connect with you and just say hey and get to know you. Um, First off, I want to say thank you so much for myself, my family, to the session, my fellow staff, and to all of you for allowing us to go away for a while and also for allowing us to uh, come back. That's nice. Um, But we are feeling rested and refreshed. We had some great vacation. I had some great family time. I took some woodworking class and did some woodworking. Um, It was a wonderful time of just reset and resting and refresh, and we are so excited uh, to be back. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, It's good to be here. Uh, This morning, we are continuing our series through the Old Testament historical book of 1 Samuel, Uh, We've been doing this the past couple weeks, and the book of Samuel is about the last judge of Israel and the nation's transition to being ruled by a king. Uh, This sets up the story of David, which we'll get into here in the coming weeks. But today we are picking up in chapter 7, after the people of Israel have really blown it big time. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where you've blown it, uh, you know the next step is to make it right, right? To right the wrong and start fresh. And that's exactly where our passage starts today. Israel blew it. Uh, Josh talked about this last week. Uh, They were ashamed. They weren't sure of the way forward. Uh, And at this point in the story, Samuel's grown up and gives them instructions for how the people can renew their commitment and live into their identity as the Lord's people once again. And while this seems like an ancient story, uh, we need this too, don't we? it has a lot of relevance to our lives. God's Word still speaks to us today as we'll see as we get into this passage a little bit more. This morning, as we dive into chapter 7, we're going to be looking at Samuel's calling to God's people, the challenges of those instructions, and the key for a life that looks like this. So, first of all, let's start with this calling. Uh, In verse 3, Samuel says, "Okay." If you are going to return to the Lord after sinning, after blowing it big time, uh, and not really living as God's people, here's what you need to do. Now, Israel's problem was that they essentially used the things of God as good luck charms. Uh, As we looked in chapter 6 last week, as the Philistines, their enemy, came to attack them, they decided, hey, let's take the Ark of the Covenant, one of the holiest pieces of the tabernacle, and let's use it as a good luck charm. We'll use it to save ourselves. Maybe if we take this with us, then we'll win, uh, right? Uh, and they lost the ark, and then it was restored to them. And so Samuel says, okay, you guys really screwed up. Here's what you need to do uh, to repent, to return to God. He says, first of all, put away your idols. And that's the idea of putting away means literally to turn aside, to turn away, to depart. Uh, and what is revealed as we, as we get into this is that Israel had been worshiping and trusting in Not just themselves, but also foreign gods. Um, Not the Lord who had rescued them out of Egypt. Not Yahweh, the Lord. Uh, It says, he says, put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the Astarte is another way of translating this. And these were gods in the ancient world of the good life. They were gods who promised plenty and safety and pleasure and comfort. Uh, In worshiping these gods, even the chapel and the brothel were combined. And so worshiping Baal and Asheroth uh, was easy and attractive for the people, and everyone around them was doing it. But in order to return to the Lord, the people need to repent from idolatry, Samuel says. Not just confess that they'd screwed up, but actually turn away. Get this out of their lives. You know, this is a a great correlation for thinking about this, is what what Samuel is saying here, is think about like, uh, someone who struggles with alcoholism or addiction, right? It's one thing to admit you have a problem, but usually the next step is to take some action, right? To actually, if you have liquor in your house, to dump it down the drain if you, if you have an alcohol addiction, right? To throw the drugs out, to literally put them aside to get rid of it. Right? This is what Samuel's saying is part of true repentance, to turn away from sin, to put it away, and to turn back to God. And even though this call from Samuel is thousands of years old, it's still true for us today, right? Passages like this should make us ask ourselves, what do I need to turn from? What do I need to get rid of in my life? Is it greed? Is it anger? Is it pornography? Is it laziness? Is it drunkenness? Is it gluttony? Is it jealousy? Is it your phone? Is it the news? What is it? What is the thing that you are turning to and need to turn away from? Jesus said, hyperbolically on this, on this topic, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Because it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell. In other words, Samuel is telling the people and, and God is telling us that real repentance has a cost. And it leads to radical life change. So if there is something you've been struggling against, an idol you've been worshiping, who do you need to share this with? What do you need to do? Who do you need to ask for help? Um, I can say personally, uh, your pastors want to talk to you, your elders would love to help you. We want to help you fight against sin and idolatry and find freedom in your life. So put away your idols. This is the first step of repentance. After that, Samuel says, direct your heart to the Lord. Now, When he says direct your heart, it literally means to establish your heart, to fix your heart, to set your heart on God. And when Samuel says the heart, he's not talking about the literal organ that pumps blood, right, in your chest. The Bible uses the word heart to talk about the innermost center of a person, right? Not just emotions, the the entirety of a person, who you are deep down inside. Identity maybe might be another way of, of talking about this. And so this call means to set your entire self on the Lord, to be oriented with everything you have on God, to find your identity not in your feelings or what seems true for you, but to find your identity in God, his words, and his ways. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I, had, I did a fall retreat with college students, and uh, we, I took some college students out in the woods, and we did some what's called orienteering, which is basically uh, we, you walk in the woods with compasses in your hands, right, the northeast, southwest compass, right? Um, and you have to find some targets that are hidden in the woods, right? You, you, all you have, you're given a piece of paper It has some coordinates, uh, some degrees, and some, like, paces. And you say, okay, here you go, here's a compass, here is some coordinates, go find the targets. First one to find them all wins. Um, and what you have to do is, as you, you start in the woods, you have to hold the compass in your hand, and you have to literally turn your body in the direction that you need to go um, and, and line the, the marker up. I'm, I'm really a, a novice at this, so I'm trying to explain this. But you line it up in the degree position that you need to go, and then you start walking. You know, say it says 10 paces, and then you turn, and you walk some more, right? And you do this until you come to the target. Well, this is... Uh, think of this when you think of Samuel's words, right? He says, turn away from sin and false gods, and turn in the direction of God. Direct your heart toward God and start walking. The marker, in other words, is God. And and it's interesting, is biblically, the word for sin actually means missing the mark. So it means the mark's over here and you're going this way. You're missing the mark. And so Samuel says, direct your heart to the Lord. Orient your heart in the direction of God. And when you get off course, readjust. And Israel does this, right? In verse 7, we see a high point in this story, in their people's history. Uh, They are gathered together, and as they're gathered together again this time, the Philistines attack. A lot like chapter 6, the Philistines attack once again. And last time, as we mentioned, the people relied on themselves, and the ark as this good luck charm, but notice this, look what they did this time. This time, they asked Samuel to pray for them. And to pray that God would save them. They don't try to take things into their own hands. They don't turn to their foreign gods. They turn to the prophet Samuel and say, Samuel, cry out to God for us, rescue us, help us. How about you? How about me? What is your heart set on? What thing are you chasing after? What direction are you going in on a day to day basis? Is it a relationship? Is it finding the perfect spouse, is it a job promotion, is it a house, is it a nice car, is it pleasure, is it needing to be needed, is it your kid's perfection, what is it? We all have something, what is it that you're going in that direction after? Because if your heart is, and identity is not fixed on the Lord and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you're going in the wrong way. That's Samuel's point. So to be honest, it's easy to say your heart is set on Christ, but really, where is it functionally, daily fixed on? What do you give time to? What do you obsess over? What do you think about? What do you focus on? What direction are you heading in? And then Samuel says, after putting away your idols, orienting yourself toward God, uh, serve God alone. Now the word here for... For service is abad in Hebrew. It's a really interesting word because it does mean service or work. Uh, and now we hear service and we think of servant or slave. It doesn't sound fun, in other words. But that's actually not the right idea. Service for God means seeking God's ways, seeking justice, righting wrongs, fighting against evil both in the world around us and in our own hearts. In other words, serving God means living according to his ways, in accordance with the identity that he has given us as his people. I serve God by loving him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. I serve God by loving my neighbor and my neighborhood as myself. I serve God by seeking to destroy lust and honor my spouse. I serve God by stewarding my money through generosity and wisdom. I serve God by raising my kids in his ways and lovingly sharing with them the love that God shows me. I serve God by letting my life and words point to his ways and his truth in all places. But service also has another idea behind it. Um, You see this word crop up in the ideas of worship, right? Uh, And this makes sense in this passage, too. Turn away from idols, fix your heart on God, and then what? Worship him. The first two commandments tell us, you know, God gives the Israelites, he says, you shall know the gods before me, and no idols, and Exodus 20 also says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, right? You shall not worship them, you shall not work for them, it's the same word, it's all wrapped up together, word and deed, right? Worship and life together. There's a connection between what you worship and what you do. What you do shapes what you love, oftentimes. And so worship is not just going to church on Sunday morning and having this emotional mountaintop experience. You can think you're a good person all day long. Let's put it this way. You can think you're a a good person all day long, uh, but if everyone else thinks you're a jerk, you're probably a jerk. What you do shapes who you are. And so worship and service of God has this active component to it. You can't just do your Jesus thing on Sunday and then do whatever you want on the rest of the week and just pretend like it doesn't matter. Right? Samuel says, and God's word tells us, if you're following God, if you're heading in his direction, then you're doing the things God calls you to do every single moment of the day as best of your ability. So this is a chance for us to kind of assess our hearts a lot this morning. So ask yourself, who or what are you really serving? What things are you doing that that prove that, right? Is it it your work? Is it yourself? Is it comfort? The goal is not to serve your office and worship work. The goal is to serve and worship God in your workplace and at your work, to serve and worship God in your marriage, not serve your marriage, to serve and worship God in your house, with your body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? To To serve and worship God in all these spheres rather than serving those spheres. Now, I recognize it's, it's very easy to lay this all out, uh, and the reality is it's really hard to do, isn't it? Uh, if you look at, at 1 Samuel 7, 4, it says the people actually put away their gods and serve the Lord only. But if you skip ahead just a chapter, things are radically different. If you peek into chapter 8, Samuel's, it says Samuel's own sons... Do not walk in God's ways. They take bribes and they pervert justice. They serve themselves, in other words. Samuel's own sons, his kids. And then Israel asks for a king in chapter 8 to be like all the nations. Right? They were already like all the nations. Samuel calls them to repentance and they repent. And then right back in chapter 8, they're going back to, hey, give us a king like all the nations. They've turned away from the Lord again. And God describes Israel in chapter 8, verses 7 to 8. He says, they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. And if you know your Old Testament, if you keep reading through the Old Testament, uh, you'll you'll recognize this is not the last time this happens. It's only downhill from here, for the rest of the Old Testament, with, with periods of, of like, Success and repentance, right? But it's mostly downhill. Fits of righteousness, in other words. Periods of return and renewal, but mostly downhill. And if we're being honest, isn't that the pattern of our own lives? A lot of times, we have mountaintops, we feel really close to God, and then we have valleys where we just kind of throw it all away, and obedience to God is, is followed by a massive betrayal. There's a human propensity to mess things up, the scripture tells us, to go after other gods or to make ourselves God, to seek momentary pleasures rather than long-term obedience to the Lord. Because the truth is that, friends, you and I are sinners. This is the Bible. We, are, we are people who miss the mark. We are people who turn from God, who break his laws all the time. We might know what's good for us, and yet we don't do it. We keep on doing the things we know that we shouldn't do. It's kind of like, you know, whenever you have a diet goal and you end up just eating a lot of cake and ice cream. We know we shouldn't, but we do. And this impacts our bodies, our wallets, our minds, our hearts, our souls, the totality of our our being. The people of Israel's track record was horrible. But again, if we're honest, so is mine and so is yours. We are mixed bags of sin and struggle, people who have fits of righteousness, people who are rebels and fools more often than not. So what's the answer then? Right, this, is a, this is a covenant renewal ceremony we're reading about in, in 1 Samuel. Why bother with that if they're just going to mess it up again? Why bother that if you're going to mess it up again? Well... Samuel's instructions to get up, to put away idols, to turn to the Lord and serve him, aren't meant to be just a one-time thing. This is to be the pattern for the people and us every day, every hour, to confess, to repent, to turn to God, to live for him. Martin Luther said all of life is repentance. That's why every, every, almost every week we have a confession of sin in our worship, because we come here needing to do that again and again. Something else happens in this story. Look at verse 5. See here, Samuel, he prays for the people. He intercedes for them as judge and priest. He stands before God for them and pleads for God's forgiveness. He pours out water. He makes sacrifice for them. These are symbols of washing and substitution. The lamb actually takes the place of the people, right, in their sin. And the Lord... Despite knowing what the people are going to do, despite knowing their hearts, he forgives them. He defeats the Philistines, and he rescues his people again. And what does Samuel do in response to that? He takes a stone, right? He he sets up a memorial to God's kindness, to God's forgiveness, to God's rescue, God's provision. And this is where the verse that we just sang in Come Thou Fount comes from. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. He, he, He raises up. A stone. He takes a stone, a rock, and he sets up this memorial to God's salvation called Ebenezer, which means stone of help. And Samuel proclaims, so far, this far, God has helped us. It's a monument. right? It's it's something that we do all the time throughout the world. We build monuments to important things or people uh, so that we can remember those events, those people, or their deeds. And Samuel does the same thing here. He knows the people's hearts. He knows his own heart. He knows that when times get rough, he's going to be tempted to, they're going to be tempted to look for other helpers. But they need to remember that God is their helper. They need to remember uh, what God has done. To see this monument, to know it's there, is meant to be a reminder that God is their provider, that God is the one who welcomes them, that God is the one who forgives their sins, that God is the one who binds up their wounds and sends them back into the world to live as his people. And we need that, too. When you blow it, or when things are scary or hard, or just in the midst of of struggle or suffering, we need that, too. We need to remember God's goodness. We need to think back on our life to remember when has God shown up in the past. Um, There's a time in my life that often comes back to me when I'm in the midst of that, when I'm in the midst of struggle or uncertainty or just fear, I often think back to the beginning of my uh, days in seminary. Uh, Melissa and I, my wife and I, had just gotten married. We moved to St. Louis, Missouri at like the last minute. Um, we didn't know the city at all. Uh, we didn't have any family or friends out there. We didn't have any community. Like, uh, we had very little money. We had two part-time jobs secured, and that was it. And we took this big uh, leap of faith. And that was, I was 23 at the time, so it was probably more just like youthful ignorance than anything. Um, But I remember all of the fears and uncertainties. And like, I, you know, we just graduated from college and all of a sudden I'm doing all these adult things and I'm alone and it was really, really scary and I didn't know how it was going to work out. And yet, God provided for us. I really still to this day don't know how we paid all of our bills. Like, I, I do the math and I'm like, I don't know how we made that work, given our income. And yet, we never ran out of food. We never starved. We had a place to eat. We were never on the streets. We weren't rich, right? But we had every thing we needed over and over and over again. God provided. So That's, a, that's an Ebenezer. That's, that's something that I look back to in my life and remember God's faithfulness. And That's something we all need, to remember God's faithfulness to us. Maybe you can think of something in your life like that. Maybe you need to hang a picture on your wall that reminds you of, of God's goodness. Maybe you need a post-it note on your mirror every morning to wake up and say, God loves me. Whatever it might be. We need those Ebenezer, something physical, or to tell those stories over and over again to ourselves and to our children. That's what worship is every week. That's why we come here every week, not just to worship God, but also to be reminded of the truth. This is a a spiritual Ebenezer, if you will, a retelling of the greatest story ever told, a call to remember the good news and to look forward to what's to come. And we see this in this passage, too, right? Samuel's actions not just are, are doing something in the present, but they're also pointing forward to something. Because all of the scriptures are ultimately about Christ Jesus. And all the signs that God gave his people were meant to point toward the coming of the Messiah. And we see this here, too, with the water, the promise that God will wash away his people's sins and make them clean. We see uh, that, that the lamb, the nursing lamb that Samuel sacrifices, points to the lamb of God that will come to take away the sins of the world. Samuel's actions are not just a a physical reminder to the people right then and there that God is forgiving their sins, but also that there will be a day when they will fully and finally be taken away. There will be a Messiah who comes. These are pointing toward the gospel, toward Christ Jesus, to not just the God who is with his people in a temple or a tabernacle, but God who takes on flesh to be with his people. Not just a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but Christ the Lamb of God who does take away the sins of the world, the one who was sacrificed in our place on the cross, the one who didn't just set up a stone memorial but rolled away the stone on the tomb of his death on the third day and conquered not just the Philistines but death itself, the one who is the rock upon which which we must build the foundation of our lives, the one who washes us clean with the Holy Spirit signified and sealed in the water's of baptism, the great high priest and judge, Jesus the Messiah, who, who intercedes for us like Samuel and, and leads us in what is right, the one who binds up our wounds and sends us out to serve and worship him only in love and service to our neighbors, community, and city. That's what all this is pointing forward to in, in, in this chapter, is to Christ, the one who is to come. And we, just like the people of Israel, not just to look back at what happened 2,000 years ago on a hill outside of Jerusalem, but also to look forward to what is to come. Weekly, we gather here, not just to remember the past, um, not just to have us be an Ebenezer of what was to come, but also a reminder of what is to come, that our sins are forgiven, that we have been rescued from Satan, sin, and death, but also that this world doesn't have the last word, that trauma doesn't have the last word, that disease doesn't have the last word, that uncertainty doesn't have the last word, and that your own sin doesn't have the last word. Christ does. Remember these things. Remember God's help. Jesus says to us today, as a reminder, I will come again and make all things new. I am with you until the end of the age. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I don't condemn you. I welcome you with open arms. Repent. Turn to me. Follow me. And one day there will be no more pain and no more sickness, and no more sorrow, and no more death, and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So this morning, turn back to God once again. For, for today, for the week, the week to come, the months to come, turn back to God, fix your hearts on him, reorient the direction that you're going in once again, worship and serve him wherever, you call, and wherever he calls you, and remember that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. As we sang, Jesus sought us when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue us from danger interposed his precious blood. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that too often we are um, lured in by the things of the world. And we put our trust in the things that we can see. We we put our faith in the things that we and not the things that we can't see. Lord, so often we are lured by comfort and ease, and pleasure, and power. And we worship things other than you, Lord. And we find our identity in things other than you. Help us, Lord Jesus, forgive us, renew us, renew our hearts, and lead us in your ways. Help us this morning to once again walk with you and in you and for you. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. yorg Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.